Welcome to the next episode of the Memories of Comptribus podcast with me, Martin Coleman. And once again today, I'm able to talk to somebody that definitely falls into the bracket as of Bees legend, somebody who rode for the club for 10 years throughout the 80s and early 90s, was a, a true fan's favourite, not just with the ladies, but the men as well, um, for his, his efforts on the track. And, and I'm delighted to say that all the way from America, I'm being able to catch up with Rick Miller. Rick, how are you? Oh, I'm great. And uh, thank you for the inter- introduction. Uh, yeah, that's great. Appreciate it. Nice being here with you. What, uh, what What's life like for you at the minute then, Rick, with all the uh, all the stuff around the world with COVID? How, how's it affecting yourself? Uh, it's easing up here. You know, um, a lot of people have got their shots or vaccines. And uh, I've been working more this year. Last year wasn't very good for that. So, um, yeah, things are... Um, I don't know, generally feeling like they're getting back to normal here, you know, slowly but surely. Yeah. And and in terms of work, you said you're working a bit more. You're still doing the, the stunt acting and that sort of stuff and still, still flying planes? <laughs> yeah, I'm still doing all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, ever since I stopped racing uh, Speedway, um, I got into basically the film industry. And uh, yeah, I've never stopped. It's been my thing. And I don't plan on changing anytime soon. And uh <laughs> haven't been flying too much but i still have the plane and just got flying a little bit more there really was not a lot of reason to fly last year uh nowhere to go and it's uh you know we all know the story by now yeah and so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna test your memory now rick we're gonna we're gonna wind the clock back uh an amazing time to think that it was nearly well 38 years ago now that you you rocked up on these shores uh 1983 um, the, the bees announced that a young American into their team of uh, the name Rick Miller and uh, the sport at the time in, in America was booming with the, the back-to-back world championships of Bruce. And uh, how did the, how did the move to the UK come about? It's let's see, you gotta, you gotta slow me down if I get too long winded here. Um, <laughs> but the, the, I guess the full story is I rode a, before I went to the UK, I only rode a speedway bike for the first time about two years before that. First time I'd ever ridden a speedway bike. Uh, I believe I was 19 years old. Might have been 20. I think it was 19. Uh, my good friend Lance King, who I knew from school, I mostly knew from my uh, good old motocross, a good old motocross friend named Johnny O'Mara. Johnny and I were good friends, and Lance was one of our dear friends also. Lance was a up and coming and already was a really great speed speedway rider at that time. Uh, he, he let me ride one of his bikes and, uh, I had such a great time riding that day. I actually bought one of his spare bikes that night. And, uh, and then I really got into it and I loved it and with no intention of doing it for uh, any kind of professional level, just because I just thought it was so much fun. And, um, so let's see without going too deep into all that. Uh, I, did race in my first year was 81 racing and you start over here in third division which is the lowest division it's a handicapped style of racing and uh i didn't do anything too special and i really didn't click at all until probably about one or two months to, from the end of the season that i really started figuring it out and i moved i'd already been up to second division and then you want to get into first division so i got into first division towards the end of the year and um uh, Jeez, that's a long time ago. It's like 40 years ago. So, <laughs> so, so I made it to first division anyway. That was the, 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 big, the big jump through that year. 
Uh, the next year, I, I did really, really well. I won uh, some track championships and various things. And the, the big breakthrough happened towards the end of the year. I just won the Ventura Track Championship. I qualified for the Nationals, uh, a bunch of other great events in the States that I, I qualified for. Uh, I, I'd meet Bruce and Kelly and Sean and Bobby whenever they came back from the rider returns and see my friend Lance when he'd come back from Europe and all that. Uh, Bruce had just won his last world title and his mechanic, I'd already made a deal with his mechanic. They were heading back to New York after the world final to race this uh, open U.S. national championship. And I went to watch Bruce at Coliseum like anyone else that was involved in Speedway at the time. And was just amazed to see, you know, how great he did and to back up his Wembley performance, which was to me is one of the greatest world finals of all time. And I hear Bruce retire on the uh, after he won the championship. Yeah. My first thought, my first selfish thought was, how's my bike going to get back to New York? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, worked it out somehow. And I don't remember how we worked it out. And uh, Bruce uh, had a commitment to go to New York and race, but since he retired, he, he, he didn't race, but he honored his commitment and went back there. I had one of my, I don't know, my probably my most flawless race performances ever over a two-day weekend. Uh, I think I raced in 23 events because you had to qualify for the, for the Nationals the next night. And out of whatever, how many races I did in those two days, it was a lot. Um, I won every single race except for one. I got second, one second place in, I think, one of the qualifying rounds. And uh, Bruce was there to witness it all. Um, and that night, it was it was just euphoric. You know, first of all, I, it was a big prize money race. So that was great. I won a U.S. Open National Championship. It was a great title to have under my belt. And Bruce says, hey, I want to be your manager. And I didn't even think w- more than one second. And the answer is yes, of course, you know. He was my idol. You know, I used to stutter when I was around the guy. Um, he'd come back from his trips and, you know, I wanted to meet all those guys, Dennis Sigalos and all, you know, all the boys that were coming back and Bruce and Bruce, when he talked to me, I could barely speak back. I was so enamored by him. Anyway, he became my manager and Bruce says, hey, what's your goal? And I said, well, my goal is to go to Europe like all you guys. That's what I want to do. And he says, well, you're not ready for that yet. And uh, I said, Okay. I mean, whatever he said, that's, that was gold to me. So I was going with it. So then I thought, okay, I'll prepare for my third season over here. I just came off a, you know, a really, really good season. And um, it's off season now. I think it's probably now around November or December. Uh, Bruce gives me a call on the phone and he says, hey, uh, what do you think about going to England next year? And I, and I just remember saying it two or three times in a row saying, you said I wasn't ready for it. And he goes, yeah, but this is a really great chance. And I said, but you said I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> and then he says, no, this is a really good thing. You'll be racing at Coventry and uh, it's Ole Olson's last year. So he'll be mentoring you. And, you know, and I watched Ole Olson when I was 13 years old. I had no ever intention of racing Speedway or no thought I'd ever do it. But I remember watching him and Ivan Major and all the guys they'd have Speedway on one time a year in the States on a, a sports show called Wide World, Wide World of Sports. And I remember watching Ole, and it just seems surreal that Bruce is saying, yeah, you'll be racing with Ole as a partner. <clears throat> so 
anyway, I think I said one more time, you know, hey, you said I wasn't ready. And he goes, no, this is a really, really good thing. I think you should do this. I go, okay, let's do it. <clears throat> and uh, about, you know, two or three months later, I, I flew over to England. And uh, here's an interesting little side story. Um, of course, you know, like, where am I going to go live? And, you know, I know nobody there except for the few of the Americans are there. And that's about it. I had to find a mechanic that would go over there with me. So I did. Um, Jim Safford went over there with me. That was cool of him to agree, you know, to do that. And um, uh, I remember I did a deal. Bruce had left his house and he goes, hey, he goes, you want to buy my house? And I go, I don't really have much money. He goes, well, you got that Toyota four wheel drive truck and it's pretty nice. And uh, so I gave him my Toyota truck, my Toyota four wheel drive truck um, as down payment. And I just took over payments on his house. So that was my first house. Wow, it was it was really really cool. So um, Bruce had a nice little place in Sutton Coldfield, and I moved into the place, and it was unfurnished. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, my first uh, I only got over there I think about two or three weeks before the first race of the year, so I was very very unprepared. Um. Anyway, uh, I almost forgot your question. You know, so like <laughs> one, 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 you know, I gave you a lot of info there. <laughs> No, that's fine. I mean, it, obviously, you, you've mentioned how the, the move to the UK come about and you've obviously arrived in, in the UK and, you, you know, based yourself in Sutton. What was your what were your memories of your first meeting with, with Charles and Linda Ockletree, who were obviously steeped in, in Speedway history and, and ran a, a very professional ship up at Brandon? What was your, your first memories of meeting Charles? Yeah, they I, I thought they were always great. You know, I don't I don't I don't have only positive memories for uh for Linda and Charles and uh, Martin, of course, their son, uh, they were always great to me. Uh, we just felt like many generations apart. And after all, I was so, so young at the time. I was um, 20, 21 years old and kind of a immature 21 year old, I think, you know, when I look back at it, um, I was just overwhelmed by the whole experience, you know, I mean, think about this. I, I don't know exactly when I showed up, but it was two or three weeks before the season started. Um, we're, we're trying to build a bike. I've got virtually no guidance. Um, we're just piecing a bike together and I haven't ridden big tracks and it's so cold. And I think I got one or two practice sessions and I'd never ridden a track that big so far. I mean, the, the closest I'd ridden to that was half that size. So I was so ill-equipped and so unprepared, um, going into that, uh, you know, the first night was mid-March, somewhere, I don't know, between March 13th and March 17th, 18th, somewhere around there, feel, if, if, if my memory's right. I didn't know if I was shaken going to the race, if it was because I was so, so cold or if I was that <laughs> nervous. You know, I just don't know which one it was, but um, everything was against me. I was, I was struggling with a cold, not enough practice. Um, you know, I can go on and on. Our first uh, meeting was uh, against Halifax. Never forget it. Um, as you know, when you go into the Coventry uh, changing room, you have to go through the opponent's uh, 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 changing room first. You have to go right through their changing room on the way to your changing room. Yeah. And uh, so I walked through there and uh, the whole team's already in there and uh, the Halifax team and uh Here's some some comment about me. I'm wearing stars and stripes like the other Americans. I'm, you know, I'm just doing the same thing all the other guys wore, and my leathers were similar to the other Americans. And heard some off comment by 
Kenny or somebody, I don't know. And of course, Kenny's got the history with Bruce. And uh, that was very unsettling. I mean, I'm, you know, I've got nothing to do with all that, at, at least not at this point in my life or career, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's very intimidating, you know, to hear the chuckles from the Halifax team as I walk through there. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a scary night for me. It was really, really scary. My first race with us. Uh, I was partnered up with Oli, and was I in Heat One? I don't even know. Yeah, I, yeah, you'd have been yeah, in, I was in Heat One. Two, yeah, Heat One, number two uh, against Kenny Carter and uh, Doug Wire. And uh, they, uh, of course, I got fourth in that one and uh, last. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then what? I think you sent me some notes. How many points did I get that first night? Did I get a point? Probably yeah, you, not. You got two. You, you scored two. So not a not a duck egg, not a not a zero, but you you certainly had a, a very tough introduction into into UK Speedway, especially with the the memories you you just said there about the changing rooms and the psychology of, of how I guess how teams back then would, would get under the skin of their opposition. Yeah, so I don't even know how I got two points. You do you do you have any notes on that? Like how did I even get one point? I was so uh, I was so not ready for it. <laughs> I was not <laughs> Yeah, somebody I think got broken down. Of, I think got a couple of thirds. Yeah, yeah, somebody broke down or fell. I had it, Ben. <laughs> but you, you, you were, you were going into a team, Rick, who you, you've mentioned Ollie, and and obviously, you know, Ollie was in his last season, but he was still very much a a big name in the sport. But you were, you had other people there. You had like Tommy, who was who'd been with the the guys a couple of years. Tommy Nudson, uh, Steve Bastable. What what was the what was the team spirit like and how did you find that were, were any of them more helpful than others? Uh, I, I don't know what the team spirit was like. It was, I was too busy doing my own thing. I could barely see what was going on. And I was, uh, I was such a dead weight on the team. I, I, I only scored a handfuls of points, like small handfuls of points up till halfway through the season, probably. And, uh, all I do, the main thing I remember is that, uh, Oli, who was at the time seemed older, but of course, in retrospect, if you look at like Greg Hancock or some of these others, um, not really that old, but he was somewhere in his early 40s. And uh, I just was amazed at how brilliant he was all over the league and what a leader. And uh, of course, Tommy was having a great season also. And um, I really wasn't helping the team. And I remember being thankful that our team was doing so well so that I didn't have too much negative pressure on me. And that was the main thing I noticed. Um, Gary Guglimi, I've always got along with Gary. Uh, you know, Australian and Americans are, we feel, I feel similar. Like we're, we feel like kindred spirits, I think. And uh, it was great to have Gary on the team. Uh, Coventry almost always had three Danes on the team, which, uh, you know, it was, it was good. Those guys are some of the most professional riders in the world. The Danes were really intelligent speedway riders and all that. And, um, you know, and Sam was on the team that year, right? So I always like Sam. We still stay in touch. Um, Kevin Hawkins, good guy. Um, Steve Basketball's first season, I think it was his only season with us, right? Just the one season. Yeah, he he, uh, he struggled certainly when he moved into the team. There's probably a bit of pressure on Steve, I think. And uh, and I think that was, whereas you eventually sort of got, got over that and, and managed to master it, I think it was too much for him riding with Ollie and, and, and the guys in that team. Yeah. So, I mean, the real answer to your question is that um, I was, I was overwhelmed the whole season. I was just, I was just trying to catch up. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, 
I can't tell you how difficult or I, I'm, I just still don't believe to this day somehow I got through that first season with the way I came in so raw. You know, I came in so with so little experience in in so many ways. And um, so it, it just feels like a miracle that I got through it and um, got my average up and and all the things that you needed to do to keep going. Did you um, did you ever have any conversations with Bruce during the season to sort of say maybe you know, he kept saying to you that you wasn't ready, but then things changed. And, and, and was it the right, was it the right thing to do in the end? Do you think, do you think coming over that year probably helped you for the, to get through the, the remaining years over in the UK? I don't know how you answer those questions, you know, um, because it, it worked out in the end, but in, I mean, to, to, to be perfectly honest, I needed more experience. I do remember having some calls with Bruce and saying, Hey, I'm about to go to this track. What can you tell me? And and it'd be the same as thing as somebody calling me to ask me about some track, and I'd go, uh, you know, the, the real answer is the real answer is you just got to go figure it out. I mean, that's the real answer. You you might once in a while be able to tell somebody, hey, you got to be thinking about this, or you know, give you an idea of something you got thinking about. But I needed way more information than just knowing what it was happening with a track. I needed everything happening. Um. You know, a lot of cool things happened that first year, and it was very character building. As you know, and and it was really cool. One time, uh, Oli, Oli saw I was struggling. Of course, I mean everyone saw I was struggling. So Oli uh, said to my mechanic and myself, um, he goes, "Hey, I don't, you know, you guys, you need to come down. I want to give you a little. Um, I want to go through a little, a few things with you." So Jim, my mechanic, and I drove down to Coventry. We brought our bike. He goes, "I want to teach you how to clean your bike, and I want to teach you how what I do." And we spent about four hours with Ollie. And I mean, he, he, I just can't say enough about how many terrific things Ollie did for me that year. He also, he, he, he got me into these meetings around the continent to give me experience when I really wasn't qualified for him at all. But um, I remember, I recounted, I remember telling uh, Ollie a story. He'd say, Hey, how's it going at your house? How's everything going? I go, ah, it's tough. We're, we're living on beans and toast. And uh <laughs> You know, I was exaggerating a little bit and I said, we don't have much furniture. My mattress is on the floor in the house. And he goes, he goes, someday when you're world champion, <laughs> he goes, he goes, you'll remember these times and uh, there'll be your best times. And this was, this was, it's going to make it happen. This is all good stuff, Ricky boy. <clears throat> and, and the fact you remember that now, Rick, proves that he was, he was right. You've got some, you've got some great memories already from, from what was a real challenging first year. So, if if I if I fast forward to the end of that season, did you you, you finished just under five point average? Was that did you did you expect to get that high? Did you think midway through the season you wouldn't get that high? And and how sort of how quick was the deal done to return in, in eighty four? Yeah, I, there was some dark patches where I didn't score or scored very little for maybe a month at a time. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I completely ever. I never had my doubts it would be a. I never thought it'd be a complete failure, but I was wondering if I'd make the grade. And the actual answer is you had to have a six-point average. And I believe I did have a six-point average on maybe it was British League only. Because at the end of the season, I had to get a maximum. I started getting it together. I had to get a maximum against Sheffield in the very last meeting of the year. And up to that point, I hadn't had a maximum. I hadn't won every race of the night. And we're, um, I think I... I think when I saw Sean and Kelly, they're, they're the sweetest guys. I mean, you know, they're my opponents, but yet they're like my best friends also. And um, I remember telling them, like, 
I've got to win every race tonight to get my six point average. And I never asked them to uh, drop a point for me or to help me out. After all, I'm racing against their team and that's, you know, they're making money every time, every point they get and all that. But I, I got a maximum that night. I beat Sean or Kelly, probably Kelly, Kelly twice, I think, and Sean once or so. And to this day, I've never asked them if they <laughs> purposely backed <laughs> off to help me, but I just don't know how I would have beat them unless I just had one of those truly special nights. You know, I just don't, I don't know the real answer to that. And, and in, in 1984, your mm. second season, um, obviously the experience that you gained from the first year came to fruition. Um, you know, a couple of maxims you've mentioned already, you, you took the checkered flag on over 50 times. And, and one thing that always, um, with UK fans that always, you know, stays true is that you, there was always a great camaraderie when, um, at the big events in particular, when people like, you've mentioned Sean and Kelly, John Cook, Siggy, you know, the Americans would, would go out of their way to help each other, even though it was sort of, at some points, like an individual qualification event. It was very much so that when you was in the UK, you, you were one team, weren't you? Yeah, they were, they were the best teammates ever. Uh, of course, I learned that team spirit from them. It's my nature to be that way also, like they were. So that was really easy. Um, but they were truly my family, my family away from home. And uh, if you think about it, they're the only ones, those guys that you just mentioned are the only ones that could truly understand my struggles or I could understand their struggles. Um, to, to move from, from U.S. to England when you're, you know, when you're 20 years old, um, that's a dramatic change. I don't know if it's as big a change now as it used to be, but it's a big, big change in, in so many ways. Forget just the racing, you know, because that's, that's what everyone thinks. Oh, the racing's harder. No, it's everything. You're trying to adapt to a, a you know, a climate that's entirely different than what we're used to. Um, yeah, the food's different. So we're adjusting to all those things, you know, the travel, the big tracks, the, you know, all the different things. So when we got together, it was really, really great. It felt like you're back with your family, you know, it was really, um, the team spirit was just brilliant. I used to love watching Dennis or Cookie um, look over at the pit fence when they're coming by in the lead and just, you know, <laughs> putting their head up and down like, yeah, we got this. You know, it was just the greatest. And and in 1985, Rick, and I don't want to skip years or move on too quick, but there's some real big memories that, that we want to talk about coming up in, in the future. But uh, 1985 um, started really the the process of, of the championship winning sides a couple of years later when you, you linked up for the first time with Kelvin and David Barge and that they joined yourself and Tommy in the top five that a couple of years on were going to become pretty much unbeatable. Yeah, those were good times. Kel Kelvin was up and coming. Um, he was uh, he was such a phenom, you know, starting off. Um, he just took the Speedway world by storm, you know, that first year or two. And uh, I remember when I'd go race at Wimbledon and meet up with Kelvin. Uh, we, we came to the first corner together, uh, many, many times. Uh, we, we, we'd bump off each other and hit the fence. One of us would. And, um, it felt like Kelvin was particularly targeting me. We've talked about this a few times. Um, he, he bumped into me, I hit the fence and then I think I had about enough of it. He, I don't think Kelvin to this day or didn't realize that, you know, we were coming together as much as I noticed him. And, uh, 
I thought, I remember this one time, um, the next time we came to Coventry, I thought, if this happens again, I'm not going to shut off. I'm just going to keep it on till we just both go down or whatever happens, happens. And it, and it happened. <laughs> uh, he, I made a good start off the inside. He made a good start off the outside. And this is before he was on Coventry, of course, when he was still in Wimbledon. <clears throat> and, uh, man, we hit in the first turn hard and, uh, we both went down and, uh, and Kelvin down, went down real hard. Um, so it's like, it was one of those cool rivalries, at least in my mind developing. And, uh, to, so when you hear about that guy's coming to our team, it made me very, very happy to have him on my side. <laughs> and, and it was not only a, a teammate, Rick, but somebody that you would go on to have a, a lifelong friendship with. Oh yeah. I love Kelvin. And, uh, we still, we don't talk as much as we'd like to, we just get busy in our lives, but, uh, yeah, we, we raced in uh, Sweden together. We raced in Coventry for five years, and then we raced on the same team in Sweden, so we'd do this traveling during the week. And um, I probably got closer with Kelvin than anyone else, you know. And, um, yeah, he's a, he's a dear old friend. And, and if we, we get through 85, 86, you, you've kept your average. You've got 6.5 average. You're moving on. You, you're sort of improving year on year. Um, was it easier to do sort of deals to come back the year after because you'd now been there sort of four or five years? What were the negotiations like? Because when I've spoken to the other riders so far, they've always said that Charles was very, very honest and very fair in, in his negotiations. Yes, he was. Um, I got incremental increases, if I remember correctly, each year. Um, I was not a good negotiator back then. I didn't know what what I deserved. Um, I did do better each year generally, and I got a little bit of a raise each year and, um, I never had more than a one year contract, which right to when I think about it, it, you know, today, that sounds really, really odd. You know, I had no, but you know, there was nothing that ever gave me an idea that I would get cut off the team or something would happen. I felt like as long as I keep progressing, I'd be on the team every year. So I never thought that they would just, you know, get rid of you or, you know, so he, Charles and the, the Uncle Trees and Coventry were very loyal, very, very loyal to me. So I really appreciate that in hindsight as I never, if I remember right, I never had my contract, my new contract until something like December of the year, you know, like several months before the season. But nothing gave me any idea that I'd be cut or something would change. Well, and, and then during that um during that time you, you settled down uh it eventually became uh, a father um to two children who were both doing amazingly well in their careers over over in the usa what was it like to sort of have that added pressure of of sort of getting married becoming a dad that sort of thing is that was that sort of always the plan yeah but if we're talking about speedway you know this didn't really happen at all this happened the, the very last year with three months in the season to go we had our daughter bailey so, you know, never, never really was a family guy over, you know, living in England. I, I, I remember one thing though, that happened. We, ba Bailey was born. I had to miss a, a race at Bradford. That was the night Bailey was born. And, uh, I flew off to Sweden on Tuesday, only two or three days after Bailey was born and, uh, Sweden, I, I really had great seasons in, in Sweden and really great race results over there. And, um, this one night I, I don't, I don't think I scored a, my, in my first race. I don't think I scored in my second race. I was a new father only three days. And I thought, I just remember thinking, this isn't going to be any good for me. I, forget me being, I don't know what I was feeling at the time. I thought, I got to go put my head down and go win some races. Like, 
just because I'm a father doesn't mean this is over, <laughs> you know? And then I went out and won the next two races and I just carried on from there. But, um, but yeah, um, I don't know where to go with this. Uh, the, the, you know, I got two great kids. You're right. Uh, Bailey and Pierce, they're doing terrific. Bailey's a news reporter in, uh, in Scottsdale right now. She's started off. Uh, you got to pay your dues in that business. And she's in a top 10 market now, but she started off in Eugene, Oregon. And then she went to Fresno and now she's in her uh, second year of a three year contract in uh, Phoenix. And that's a top 10 market. That's great. I suppose she's uh she likes it there, but she also wants to come back and be a news reporter in LA. So um, she, she's just amazing at what she does. And then my son Pierce, he's a budding stuntman and he's working in the film business and he's having a great time doing that. And we're really working hard uh, doing all the training you do to uh, become a stuntman and work in the film business. I've, I've got a, I've got a story actually for you, Rick, that, that you, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there's, um, there's a couple of Coventry fans who, who I'm friendly with, and, and they actually had their daughter the same day that Bailey was born in the same hospital. Oh, wow. Um, and there were some flowers delivered for, for Kim. Um, but they thought that this other lady, Sandy, w- was your wife. So they've gone in and, and said, hi, Mrs. Miller, here's your, here's your flowers. And uh, there's, a, there's a running family joke with them that they, they believe that their baby was swapped and that, you know, ah. you were, that they were your, your baby was actually theirs and stuff. So they, they've always... They always remind me of uh, of the Rick Miller story when they uh, when they had the baby the same hospital the same day. So uh, oh, that's quite, funny. quite a funny link for them that they always talk about Rick could have been uh, could have been the father after all. But uh, luckily, legally, it wasn't true, and it was just a bunch of flowers. So uh, wow, they, uh, we got we got two girls of the same age. Is that the deal? Yeah, exactly the same. Uh, Sandy and Melissa. So uh, they uh, they're always looking out for you and, and uh, big fans of yours. Obviously, when when you was at the B. So. Uh, that was that was always a, a good story to listen to when they told us. Yeah. Um, fine. So eighty-seven. Then Let, let's get to the the main the main crux of it. Eighty-seven, eighty-eight. We'll talk about eighty-seven first, but that season will live long in the memory of of bees fans of a certain age. Certainly, you know, I was sort of eleven, twelve at that point, and was going every week and couldn't believe that these riders, Tommy, Bargy, yourself, JJ, Kelvin, just for literally two years, just completely wiped every team out. What was it like to be in such a, a successful team over a long period of time? Yeah, it was great. It was really fun being on a winning team. Uh, 87, I think we went undefeated that year. Is that the year we went undefeated? Yeah, in the... yeah amazing. Yeah. And, uh, has that been done to this day? Has that happened again? Uh, no, I don't think it will have done. I don't, I don't think it has done. It's, uh, it's certainly something that when you consider the different places you had to go and ride at, to, to go there and be unbeaten at some of the, the tracks that you used to have to visit was, uh, was an amazing achievement. Yeah, those were great years. Uh, the, our, our team spirit was fantastic. Uh, Kelvin and Tommy, did we have a Heat 15 that year or was that before the Heat 15? Uh, I think that might have been before the, the Heat okay. 15, um, okay. but they were... That they were just an awesome pair. And actually, no, it probably was Heat 15 because they, they. I think so. Because I just remember in almost every Heat 15, it was Kelvin and uh, Tommy. And I got in a few of them, but a uh, majority of them were Kelvin and Tommy. And they always delivered um, because we had a few close matches that year. So it'd be interesting to look back at those results to see how close we came to getting defeated. But I mean, what a remarkable achievement. And you're right, we had such a brilliant team. I, I believe John and I rode together probably the whole season at three and four, I think. Yeah, it was, it was either three and four or four and five, whichever. Four and five. Was then. Four and five, yeah, exactly. Did you did you and John, I mean, uh, I know I've probably seen it on track a few times, but you didn't always see eye to eye, but you, you just seem to have that 
there was a there was a sort of a telepathy on on the track that you more often than not you mentioned Tommy and Calvin, but you and John banged in a fair few five ones as well, didn't you? Yeah, I heard a rumor one or a point, some somebody mentioned at one point. I think we had more five ones that season than maybe anyone had ever had. Maybe up till then, I don't know if it's true, true what these things are true or not. But Kelvin and I, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, John and I. Uh, yeah, it's impossible to get along a whole season when you when you're racing together like in that situation. It's it's just impossible, you know. Um, we I think we probably got as long as good as you could under those circumstances. There was many times where I made the start, I looked over for John, and maybe I helped him. And then not only did he go by, but then he didn't help me say. And and I'm sure there was times the other way around too. And um, there and there was, you know, if you think about it, so if you race five times a night and you race, you know, as many meetings we've done, there's no doubt that he did me wrong or I did him wrong. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, uh, was it evened up how many times we did each other wrong? Who knows? But I know that his mechanic would be telling him, forget Rick, put your head down. You need to get the points. My mechanics tell me the same thing and the people in my life. And so it was like one of those things where maybe you're not, we're not talking yet. We're doing really, really well. But, you know, say for instance, he wins, I get third, I don't get that bonus point. So, you know, that's all I'm thinking about that night is that, Hey, I lost out on those points because John didn't help me. And my um, mechanic saying, forget him. And then, but you know, what either one of us would do at some point, we would, even in spite of us not talking, I would go help him out or he had helped me out and we were back to normal again. And so this happened over, it was just re repeated over and over throughout the season. But I, I really think that we got along really, really well considering we were both so competitive and we're doing so well as a you know, as a partnership making points, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and if you imagine that Tommy and Calvin would have both been vying for the number one race jacket and there'd have been a bit of, you know, respectful rivalry there as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, the record books show that it was one of the most um, fascinating teams and one of the most winning teams that have been seen in British Speedway. And uh, certainly the, the club used to take a lot of fans to the away <laughs> tracks as well. And in that season in particular, um, it must have been a boost to uh, to turn up at, say, Kings Lynn or... or you know, Ipswich or somewhere like that, and and just see loads of yellow and black in the crowd. Yeah, it was our eighth team member, as you say. You know, it was great. Our Mick, our Mick Bell was our team manager. He did a terrific job. He was such a calm, cool guy. You know, loved having Mick as our manager. Uh, David Barge riding at number two was just out of this world. He was riding it too the whole season, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, Oh yeah, you know, it, it, we we'd start off the meetings with we'd start off so many meetings with five ones. We just were off and running and. Uh, we had great reserves those years. I mean, every, everything was just perfect. Everything was perfect. And we we almost repeated it in 88, too, which was pretty amazing. We basically kept almost almost the same team. So, you know, pre pretty amazing thing. Yeah, in 88, the only change to the side was, was Bargy moving on and, uh, and Neville, Calvin's brother, joining. And, and again, two league titles back-to-back -back and, uh, again, becoming a, a real force to be reckoned with when the, when the bees were in town. Right. So what happened in the next year? Did we lose a key rider because of points limits? I don't re remember what happened. No. So at end of 88, um, the biggest change was um, Tommy got, got badly injured in Australia. Oh. Um, did his, broke his back in Australia in the winter. We'd, we'd won the league two years in a row. And then uh, when you take Tommy out the side and, and we replaced Tommy with uh, a bit of a mixture of 
uh, I think it was Kai Nemi and Sean Wilson, who, you know, Kai was coming to the end of his career, but Sean was on the up and things just never really felt the same again with that squad, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. Thanks. Thanks for a refresher. I mean, we're going back <laughs> way back in time here. Um, one memory of that, of 88, Rick, that a lot of fans remember, and, and there's pictures of it online and stuff. Uh, Tommy had his testimonial. Um, you took part in that. And there, there's an iconic photo of you. You've just crossed the finish line on one of the, the races and, and your engine disappears out the side of the bike and, and ends up in the fence. Do you got any memories about that? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. That was a costly day. You know, um, testimonials, generally, you, you're lucky if the, the you know, you, we all supported the other riders that have a testimonial. So when a testimonial rider calls you to race at their meeting, if you can do it, you do it. Yeah. So that was that was unwritten rule. Um, a lot of times you go to testimonial, you get 50 pounds for your travel expenses, maybe, or a free tire or something like this. And uh, so the most interesting thing about that photo and I should know who took it. Didn't John Hipkiss or Mike Patrick take it? I feel like it was one of them. He was in one of them at the time. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, the, the most interesting thing about that picture was that in that particular race, I was in last. And it, the the engine gave out just crossing the start-finish line. And uh, somehow the photographer had a, a, a motor drive picture of me in fourth place on a straightaway, which you know, unless he's just getting ready to follow me into the corner, but something got him clicking right there. So the very first image is the engine uh, just rotating out of the frame. It might already be in there behind me, behind my tire, because I'm going pretty fast. I'm going probably 65, 70 or so. And there's another, there's about uh, six, six pictures in the sequence. And um, yeah, and there's a, there, it's funny in the last picture, you see Don Godden in the stand standing next to Hans Nielsen and they're pointing it at it at it and people are laughing and it, i mean it's just yeah <laughs> my, my my memories is that almost everything on my bike got destroyed my frame got bent uh, the engine of course was destroyed <laughs> every it was really really expensive that's my memories of it who who got the blame for it did billy get the blame for it oh no it's not billy's fault um <laughs> it was happening to gms that year and around that time um and mine was, it happened to one or two other bikes, but not quite as severe as what happened to me. My engine, the rod broke, uh, the rod rotating around, it's so many thousand RPMs a minute. And uh, it sheared all the bolts that hold it in the frame. And then it ripped out of my engine and it all happened in such a short space of time. It's pretty amazing. It was like a explosion, you know. And, and we've, we've touched on 89. It wasn't a, a successful year for the club after, after Tommy's injury. It was a bit of a struggle. And then... 1990 becomes a different kind of year uh, from a, a professional level for yourself where you, you managed to get yourself all the way through the qualifying rounds. Um, you, you went back to America for the American final at Long Beach and, you know, you secured qualification. You got through the overseas final and, and you had the the honour of, of lining up in the world final at Bradford, which must be something that you, you remember to this day. Oh, yeah, that was a great time to make a world final. I was... Uh, I was uh... I'm still very proud of that that time and, you know, making two world finals, but I'm very proud of making the first world final. So, yeah, um, it was a tough round. It was tough all the way through. The American round was always tough uh, at the time. I don't remember if it was four got through or five. Generally, it was four, but I think at one point we were doing so well, we got five people going through, five Americans. Um, but like I say, that round was super tough to have only four or five get through. Overseas final was very, very tough. Um, 
I did it. I needed a win in my last race at, at Coventry. Yep. And uh, I was, I remember being in second going into turn three and uh, whoever it was lifted in front of me. I think it was Lee Adams. I, I'm not sure. And I couldn't believe that he made a little mistake and I was through and, uh, and I, I, and I was on my way. Uh, my, the intercontinental final was in uh, Denmark. Yeah. Re- really well at that meeting. I think I got 11 points and uh third or fourth place, something like that, probably fourth. Uh, and then the world final Bradford. Um, yeah, it was, re- it's, a, it's really great memories. My family, um, my family came out uh, to see me, which was really, really cool. And um, I started off the meeting really great. Uh, I got a, I got a second and then um, a win in my second race. I beat Perry Johnson, the ultimate, the eventual winner. Perr was really fast at Bradford. So that was a pretty cool win. Um, so I'm on five points after two. I was, I got a second in the third ride. So I'm on seven after three. Yeah. Um, but I'm skipping over a few things. I'll tell you, it was my first world final. I remember being on the parade in the center green and standing out there and I felt like I could just puke. I was just so, <laughs> I felt just sick. I, I, I didn't know how to get my nerves together. It was, uh, it was just such an intense feeling. And, uh, yeah, it was overwhelming. It was a big crowd and all that. So nobody expected much of me, but the interesting part, my attitude going into this was like, okay, nobody expects anything, but it's, this is when world finals were just one-off world finals. If you win that night, world champion. And I don't care if people thought I was deserving or not. I thought maybe I can have a special night tonight. You know, maybe it can happen. Bradford was a pretty good track for me. So after three rides and seven points, I was looking pretty good. I was in, uh, what was I, tied for second, I think, at that point, second or third. Yeah, you you was definitely with a chance at the interval, and, uh, and and a lot of people were sort of thinking, well, you know, you, you've got your seven points, you've won a race, you, you know, you, you look quick, and uh, and certainly you looked as though you controlled those nerves certainly in your first few races, and although it tailed off towards the end, it was it was still a a fabulous result for for somebody in their first world final. Yeah, one of my one of my memories of that is, and it's still sort of it upsets me a little bit when we talk about this sort of thing. I. I got one point in my fourth ride. I mean, hey, you know, the, the luster had, had gone off, you know, by not getting a second or first in that race. But I got a point. I got disqualified after the race. And the reason why I got disqualified, I believe the answer was um, that I delayed the start. I was at the start. You could move. You could even touch the tapes back then. I did, a, I did all those things like everyone else did. But I don't know if the referee thought I did it excessively, but... There was no, uh, there was no such thing at the time of disqualifying somebody after a race because he moved at the line. I didn't get an advantage of it. As a matter of fact, it hurt me, and I got a point. They disqualified my point, so I, I don't know. I should have one more point in that world final, really, you know. Um, but yeah. hey, you know, those were times when it was me, my mechanic, and we had no support besides that. Uh, There's nobody there fighting for me to go. Hey, why did you take that point away? Or somebody, you know, I'm still trying to race the event. Um, but, you know, I, I consider it a great accomplishment. There's been really a lot of great riders in history that have never, never made a world final. And um, so I always consider that, was, you know, quite a feather under my cap to, to, to do that at that time. 
and in that year, Rick, you did you did taste gold medal because you were part of the the American World Team Cup victory that year. What what did it mean to you to to pull on the stars and stripes? Yeah, that was uh, that was great. Um, it was great. I I raced for America many many times while I was in Europe, um, and I was always proud of that. I you know wore the stars and stripes and represented America hundreds of times or well over a hundred times anyway. And uh, we had a really great run going into that World Team Cup. Um, I think I got a maximum in Germany on the way in the semifinal leading up to that. And, um, yeah, it was very proud. I was so, so proud to be racing with those, you know, Billy Hamill and um, Kelly and um, Ronnie and Sam. Um, and, you know, all the guys that helped us in the, in the qualifying rounds also, you know. It was really, it was really, I'm really proud of that. And, and before I move on to, to your final season, uh, 1991, again, two, two struggles. Calvin moved away from the club. He moved up to Berwick, which, you know, he's admitted now he, he moved too soon. He should have stayed. Uh, Tommy came back. Um, but one thing that was always constant during that period, Rick, was the, the, the battles with Cradley and, and the local rivalry and sometimes the, the, the morning meeting at Dudley Wood and then the evening meeting at Brandon. They were some special, special rivalries, weren't they? They were really special. Um, you know, started off when I first went over there when uh, Ollie was on the team and Gary Newbon was the uh, announcer or Dave Landon was involved in uh, all the theatrics and, you know, the cross-town rivals. From my point of view, yeah, I felt I felt the pressure and I enjoyed it. I, I just, Cradley, Cradley was never a very good track for me. And so it, um, I never think, too, you know, too many fond things when I think about my events at Cradley or anything involved with that. You know, I enjoyed the Coventry meetings, but the, the Cradley, I just, I struggled with that track. Um, but yeah, it was neat. You know, it was neat having the rivals. I realized towards the end of my career, the crowds were dipping a little bit and where in early in my career, we'd get booed at tracks and various things like that. And I thought that was horrible. You know, I, re I remember as a, from an athlete's point of view, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. And then I realized as the crowds diminished, there was no booing that, Oh wow, we we miss that. We we need that. <laughs> it's it's not good that we don't have that anymore. And and you've said that Cradley was with a track you didn't get on with great. What what would do you say was your your favorite away track in the UK? Uh there was a couple I liked a lot. I raced at Pool as a guest a lot. I liked that track. Uh I liked Wimbledon. Um I liked Eastbourne except for the long trip to get down there. Um <laughs> uh, I did really well at Arena Essex the the one or two years I you know that they were in the league with us. Um, I like Oxford. I, I like Bradford also, you know, and and then I, I like you know there's I liked a lot of them. I like Bellevue too. Um, Be Bellevue used to scare me, especially the old track. I, I love the old track. I really um, I really missed that old track. It was a shame that they had to you know had to move on to that the the new track. Um, they had Chris Morton there and Peter Collins and they had a really great team and boy, it was hard to win there. And it was so satisfying. I, Chris Morton was virtually unbeatable there. And uh, early on in my years, I, I managed to beat him there. And I was really, really proud of that moment because he was so tough to beat. He and PC were so incredibly tough to beat there. And, and onto your, onto your last year, Rick in the UK, 92, which uh, two, two highlights for me. One was that the, Really long journey to to Rostov in Poland to watch you in the, in the world final again. Um, one which was heavily delayed with the rain, and and the other highlight was your 
and it's still talked about today, some some thirty years on, was your your fabulous testimonial meeting. Yeah, a lot of big things happened my last year. Uh, the, the 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 world final Poland that was r- really cool to you know establish it wasn't a fluke by making a world final. So I made my second world final. The sad part for me and the world final, I don't know what was happening at the time. I think I wasn't doing really, really that well before the event. I didn't come in with a lot of confidence. Um, I remember going to Poland feeling really alone. Um, my wife, Kim, was pregnant. She didn't come over because, you know, she was uh, late in her pregnancy. Wait a minute. Oh, let's see. Was she or not? I'm kind of getting confused on the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, maybe maybe Bailey was born at that point. <laughs> And, and she couldn't come for that reason. So we're going way back in time. Um, I just remember feeling lonely there and uh, really, and it's interesting. My one interesting story about that is only recently I watched that world final for the first time. I saw it on, uh, on YouTube. And my, when I watched it, I remember thinking, God, I really came close to doing great at that one. I, I made a good start in the first one, but I just missed out because we all came to the to the turn at the, at the same time. And uh, and when I look back, it was I did much better than I remembered. And it was sort of interesting to rewatch that, you know, here here I'm rewatching it, you know, thirty something years later or whatever it was. And um, okay, well anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, um, the testimony was brilliant. It was a a real highlight in my career. The the love people showed me by helping with the event. I put a lot of effort into it, but I had a lot of good people around me also helping me a great deal. Um, I was able to get a lot of sponsorship. Um, I've still, I'm still uh, so appreciative of Tommy Randers. I reached out to Tommy Randers at um, Eurosport or one of the, one of the TV uh, things at the time. And he agreed to put it on TV which got me, you know, which able to, you know, I was able to get more sponsorship money because my goal was to get the best speedway lineup of riders in the history. That was my goal. And I think that if you look at it, I think that I may have achieved it. There was something like a 10 or 11 world champions in the field. I was probably one of the weakest riders in the field. <laughs> and um, um, it was great. And I put on big prize money for the guys too. If you won it, you won something like three or 4,000, 3,000 pounds. I don't remember something like that. And, but you made money all the way down, you know, even if you got eighth, you made good money. So it was different than normal testimonials. And the, the, the crowd really supported it. All the, all the things I did, they supported it. And um, we got a little bit hurt by the weather, but it didn't hurt too much. We had a pr- pretty big crowd that day. Um, so yeah, that was a super, super highlight um for me and um yeah it was a yeah very happy time and and with the after the the world final rick um we made the journey the long journey back to coventry and and just 48 hours later it was going to be what would then be your last um your last meeting for the bees with a you were i think you were going through the card you was unbeaten i think and then you had a an accident which ended up with you in the in the first bend by the pit gate and your, your collarbone in pieces um had you already made a conscious decision that that you were going to finish at the end of 92 or did did, did the injury sort of speed that process forward yeah that changed everything and it wasn't just simply because i got injured but um a lot of things were happening yeah i was having a great meeting i remember um my recollection is i raced whatever team Bo Peterson and Brian Carter were on. And I don't remember which team it was. So I thought yeah, it, was, it was arena arena. Essex. Arena Essex, okay. So the, 
I, they, we were, we were, do, we were, we were killing them that night. And so they were putting a lot of tactical substitutes in. So I'm racing the best guys multiple times, but I, at this point I'd won, maybe already won five races or at least four, or maybe I was going for the maximum in the last race. Uh, I felt unbeatable that night. I made a good start. I bumped with one of the guys coming into the first corner and I cartwheeled pretty hard, uh, all the way to the fence. And, uh, yeah, I broke my collarbone pretty bad. Um, uh, the, so the shame of it, of course, was after you make a world final, the big deal back then was you had all these cool events. You got to do the Voyance, the gold bar race, and you got to do all these great races around, you know, Europe and, and make a bunch of money because you're a world finalist. Well, I missed out on all those. So that was a, a disappointment, disappointing being injured at the end of the season after, you know, second world final. The, the bigger problem was that the economy in England and Europe was really poor at that time. And England was already talking about doing pay rates uh, for next year. So no matter who you were, um, when you, when you, when you scored a point or you did a start, you're going to make that much money. It didn't matter if you were the first year rider or 10th year rider. It did not matter. You're going to make the same money. And I remember thinking that, um, Hey, I'm American. I'm the reigning American champion. Uh, just made my second world final. Um, you know, I can give, you know, the, the list was long in my, in my mind of my, what I was offering and that not, I wasn't going to, I needed a raise, but maybe willing to consider the same amount of money, but I wasn't going to take a drop. And uh, there was no bluff in it. You know, the, I guess the teams were beholden to the new rules and that was it. And I thought, I'm not going for that. And it came at a time in my life also where, I was about 30 years old or so, 30, 31 right there. And um, thinking, I first of all, didn't know how long you could race speedway. Greg Hancock's been a great example of what you can actually do if you put your mind to it. You know, you can go a long, long time after 30, 31. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, all these things played into my mind. Um, that My team in Sweden, they, they went from having two foreigners where it was Kelvin and I, and we just won the league over there in Sweden two or three years in a row. Uh, they were going to only have one foreigner. So one of us was going to get dropped. And I already heard that they, they were keeping Kelvin. So uh, a lot of things were going against me. It just sort of forced my hand, basically. The, basically, the injury forced my hand. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make a new life. I'm going to move back to the States and start figuring out a new career. This isn't going to work. And, and, and you've certainly done that, haven't you? So it was obviously, you know, things, a perfect storm. And, and, and you've come out of it the other end. And you've got some... Some amazing memories of of your time in the UK. What's your what's your overriding memory, Rick, of of riding for the bees and and the support that you had from the fans over here during those those ten glorious years in in the eighties and nineties? I'll tell you, they were they're the they're some of the fondest memories I have in my life. Um, it's my most the biggest transformation I had were in those years. Um, all my all my great successes I think in life have come from all that. Um, if you think about it. I mean, it's, the list is long. I, I met my wife there um, because I met my wife there. I ended up having my daughter Bailey there, yeah. um, you know, and it gave me confidence in life, you know, by being a champion and racing. The, the fans were fantastic to me. The Coventry fans were so, so sweet to me. They were the, it was just amazing. And the entire league, England was very, um, very good to me. I loved them and they, uh, they felt it and they loved me back and it was great. And, um, um, you know, I got the opportunity to travel through Europe and race all those places. And 
it's interesting. We just got together recently for um, a dear friend of ours in the Speedway world that uh, on the state side that uh, passed. Uh, Pete Rovazzini died, so went to his memorial. Saw my good friend Bruce and Bobby and Dennis Segalos and uh, Ronnie Preston. Uh, Phil Collins was there also, which was cool. Uh, when I get together with those guys, I can tell stories or listen to stories for hours and hours and when I do that, I'm so sad to leave. You know, we were telling stories for hours, four hours, five hours, and it made me sad to leave that. Um, it's the most impactful time of my life. So really, that's my takeaway from the whole thing. And, and obviously, Rick, you've seen the the pictures and, and what's happened to Brandon uh, over the last four, you know, four or five years now. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on what's happened to the place? Yeah, it's sad. You know, it's the end of an era. Um, everything's changed with speedway so it's not just that but um yeah it's sad to see your you know something that you were involved in you know at such a high level be completely gone you know um i'm just glad it was there when i did it i don't know what else to say you know i'm yeah. glad the way everything you know all these crossroads you come in into life y's and t's sections you know and um i made a lot of good choices for been very lucky that it all worked out the way it did i i wouldn't change a thing you know and what are we saying rick if we managed to somehow get it back open and buy the stadium back and and there was a bit of a reopening there would you reckon you're gonna don the leathers and, and come over and do a lap oh, i'd do a lap yeah i'd come out there i haven't been <laughs> to england a long time you know it's uh I'm de- i haven't done a lap for a long time either i still ride motorcycles but i haven't ridden one of the speedway bikes for a while um i love them they're it's it's so strong in my mind still how much i love speedway and everything about it and the the thrill you get when you ride one it's it's just brilliant well rick not only did you get a thrill riding the bike but uh, you you gave a thrill to a lot of fans over the years at brandon and, and certainly i'm one of them and it's been such an honor to for you to agree to catch up and talk to me today and uh i can only wish you the best for the the upcoming years and hope that the the stunt work keeps coming and and who knows fingers crossed something might happen and, and if we do uh if we do get Brandon back open again, I'll be on the uh, on the phone to you and, and getting you over here to, to uh, come and see the, the fans that still hold you in, in very high regard. That's great. Is there is there really a chance it could get going again? Is that what you're saying? We, we have to hope, Rick. We have to hope. So, okay. Uh, okay. Je- we, Jeff we, Davis we always hope. And, yeah, <laughs> Jeff Davis and the, and the guys are doing a great job trying to keep it in the public eye. So uh, oh, we'll fantastic. keep the hope. And then if so, we'll, uh, we'll be in contact. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I just want to say uh, thank you to all my old fans. You just said Jeff Davies. He was a dear old friend. I'm so sad I don't get to talk to more of these you know these people that were so strong in my life. Um, but yeah, there were everyone. There, I had so much tremendous help in England and such amazing support. I just and thank you, Martin. I appreciate uh, this opportunity to talk to everyone. No problem, Rick. Thanks a lot, mate, and, and have a good rest of the week. Thank you. You too. Bye bye.